Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kajabi Edge podcast, where we talk to real entrepreneurs to give you an edge on Kajabi. I'm your host, Jared Lohman, Vice President of Customer Experience. And today I'm joined by Raj Bakaran. How are you doing today, Raj? Fantastic. It's so great to be here on the podcast with you. And maybe I should I should, I should probably be calling you Dr. Raj, or do you prefer Dr. Bakaran, or what? what's the preference? You can call me Raj. You can call me Dr. Raj. I assure you I've been called much worse, uh, whatever, <laughs> whatever you're comfortable with. Good stuff. Well, uh, let's get started. Tell us about the about the doctor title. Tell us a little bit about um, like how that came into play. Okay. Well, uh, the doctor title comes from um, having a PhD as opposed to commonly uh, a medical degree. People are medical doctors, obviously. Um, but when one earns a PhD, which is typically the terminal degree in a field, they're considered an expert in that field. And as per our society's um, custom, uh, the doctor title is afforded to such a person. Sure. In my case, I, my degrees technically were in religious studies. So the study of comparative religion, and I focused on Eastern religion, uh, Hinduism in particular. And to get more nerdy and more detailed, I study uh, the ancient Indian myths of the great goddess, the great Hindu goddess. So I study old Sanskrit stories uh, to the point that uh, they call me doctor now. <laughs> I love it. No, that's, that's really cool. And I think probably the reason that stood out to me I don't know if I'm correct on this, uh, but uh, as I understand it, it's only it's only in the United States, I believe, or maybe Canada as well, that we actually use the term doctor for both the medical practice as well as for, you know, the the PhD. Is that does that ring true to you? Well, the PhD across the Western Academy. So even in Europe, even in Australia, okay. uh, in, in India, uh, whenever someone um, attains a terminal degree in their field, a PhD, the, the uh, a PhD is technically a doctorate of philosophy. Got it. Technically. And so so that title is accorded to them. Um, where it gets a little tricky is a title like prof. Like someone may have a full professorship or not. They just may be a sessional instructor. So that could be a little more tricky and dependent. But generally, um, the title doctor is accorded to anybody who has um, the highest degree in their field. Very cool. Well, that's that was just a little curiosity coming into play there. Um, I guess where that really uh, makes a lot of sense is it actually relates perfectly to your business. Uh, you are found of the online school of Indian wisdom. Uh, what's kind of like your quick elevator pitch? Tell us what that's all about. Yeah, I don't have a, a, a canned elevator pitch, but essentially I present, you know, ancient Indian wisdom from old Sanskrit texts in a way that's relevant to modern life. And I sort of bring together academic training and also traditional lineal training. I've trained with masters in the tradition. Bring that together, uh, present it in a way that makes sense for modern life. And that's pretty much what I do at the school. That's awesome. Well, uh, let's uh, kind of rewind just a little bit. Tell us uh, a little bit about who you are, what your what was your journey prior to becoming Dr. Raj? Uh, where did this all begin? Yeah, you know, um, there's a journey before the Dr. Raj and there's a journey since the Dr. Raj. And the, the journey since the Dr. Raj is really the, the, the meat of the entrepreneurial journey. So maybe okay. I should start with that. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I did degrees kind of part-time on and off throughout my adult life, worked in between, had a bunch of practical experience. And then I decided to do a PhD because the dream job was to teach undergrads, right? To be a college prof type thing. I finished my PhD in 2015. Um, in my particular field, uh, there are no jobs. Uh, part of that is just the nature of the academy where um, um, uh, profs live a long time. They're, they're productive well into their 60s, 70s, 80s even. So there's not a whole lot of retiring and um, institutions aren't 
aren't really funding new positions because they tend to get away with hiring somebody for 5k a, a, a course versus like you know 100k a year type thing and so they hire session instructors and that's the business model for universities these days so there are very few jobs in my field and when i came out that was the case i was shortlisted for a couple of jobs i really felt like staying in toronto especially given certain shifts on the globe shall we say um uh, but you know without work in my field uh the funds dwindled and dwindled and dwindled and um i rang in 2016 with literally four cents to my name Literally, I had four cents, not even a nickel in my checking account. Uh, line of credit was maxed out. Credit cards are maxed out. I had done three degrees, right? And I just had this, this really intense experience of like, how on earth can somebody, you know, intelligent, caring, hardworking in like a major metropolitan like Toronto? You know, I, I literally had probably 20 jobs over the course of my life to that point, all kinds of different work. How on earth could I be penniless or maybe not quite penniless? I have four pennies, apparently. How, how, how the hell is this possible? You know, um, and I'm like, okay, I don't know what the heck I'm supposed to do. Um, but I love to teach and there are people out there. So I sent an email out and said, would anybody like to take a course on Hindu goddess? Some of these people were people in my extended network. Some were students that had stayed in touch from me teaching continuing studies at the University of Toronto, which I did on and off for about 10 years. And before I knew it, within a week, I had enough money to survive that month. If it wasn't for my mother's generous Christmas gift, which was monetary that year, I don't know what I would have done for that holiday season. And despite that, I rang in the New York with four cents to my name. So I said, okay, I have to do something. <laughs> Just that one email, a couple of follow-ups, and I had enough students to teach for that month. And I'm like, okay, well, I can, I can repeat this. I repeated it. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes there was tweaking involved or um, conversations involved. Um, I was in this strange position of loving people, knowing people very well, loving teaching, having all kinds of things to teach, um, not ever having taken one business course in my life, uh, really struggling with the online medium because I was an old fashioned kind of meet and greet, you know, um, hands on, you know, real, you know, sort of real life person. That's how I did all my wheelings and dealings. Wasn't even on social media at that point, believe it or not. And so, you know, I struggled, but I had this intuition that I couldn't explain that online was the way to go. And it was extremely difficult because I really struggled with tech. And I know nothing about business. Now I know much about business. But at that point, you know, I didn't know very much at all. So I had to embrace this learning curve of, you know, slaying the how do I create a website dragon, you know, slaying the, you know, what the heck do I do about an email list? How do I get that going? All these moving parts that sort of had to come piece by piece. And I did that alongside continuing to publish as if I had a professorship. So at this point, over the last six years since I graduated, I've published easily more than the average prof in my field, maybe two combined. And that was all done while supporting myself selling courses, eventually selling online courses. Um, fast forward a couple of years, uh, I wish I found Kajabi <laughs> before 2021 because it's never been smoother for someone like me to run an online business. Because in this one platform, you have something to manage your contacts, you have something to send your emails out with, you have something to build your your your, your platforms, your sales pages, you have um, you know a learning management system where students can log in. And I founded the school in March of this year, and it was really just the crystallization of these kind of uh, one-off online courses, you know, using you know Google Drive and a bunch of emails 
and, you know, sort of old school. Yeah, that's great. I mean, what I'd love to do, I think I'd love to really zoom in on uh, kind of that earlier stage to where you were running into some of those struggles. What were some of those struggles that you are facing as kind of as you're trying to get up running? Yeah, well, um, overwhelm, overwhelm at how out of your comfort zone it is. Like certain things I'm skilled at, certain things I'm not. And there's all kinds of skills involved in setting up an online platform. Right. So there was the very real challenge of struggling to set up an email. So, so not an email, a website, set up a website for yourself, um, um, figure out a logo, you know, figure out the name of a platform, all that. I had a platform called Power of Myth. It was an homage to, you know, Joseph Campbell uh, a few decades ago. And I was, the courses were based on comparative mythology. Right. And it went for a while. And then I decided to just, um, disband that in 2018 and focus on the one-on-one coaching because people wanted one-on-one coaching. And then there were challenges there in terms of how to set up scheduling systems, how to keep in touch with people, how to, you know, so there, there are various challenges with the actual nuts and bolts of just doing business. On top of that, there's the overwhelm. But the real challenge is, you know, um, it's the same with me as it is with most human beings. Um, same with all the clients who come and coach with me, right? The real challenges aren't the practical ones or the emotional ones. Shame. I felt like an escort. I felt I really had this internalized myth, pun intended, like sort of a, in a pejorative sense. I had this myth about like, and it's very much in vogue at the academy. You know, a serious academic doesn't market themselves. They don't deal with money. They don't deal with the public. What is this? Right. I've always loved dealing with the public. So that wasn't too much of an issue. But I really felt like I was, you know, selling myself in some unsavory manner. And I had to overcome that and understand that money's energy and money is how you communicate the value and you exchange value. Money's not what we think it is. Money's much more than that. So that was one series of challenges that I had to overcome. Well, I'd, I'd love to hear like, what, what did you learn throughout that journey? Like what was, what was the lesson, if you will? Oh, there's a number of lessons. One lesson is that whenever you are trying to find out why you're on this planet, you have to tune out why everybody else is on this planet. And it's really difficult. I mean, as cheesy as it is, right? Like every superhero movie you ever come across based on, you know, the principles of comparative mythology from ancient times, uh, 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 the hero at the beginning is always, you know, is always encouraged to stay in the status quo, to stay in the ordinary, to take the safe path, to take the, the, the known path, right? And when you are trying to do something that in your heart you know needs to exist, when you're creating something new, when you're entrepreneuring, when you're birthing something into the world, very few of anybody ha- will have any real sense of what that should look like and what you should be doing. And unless you're guided by that, and then it starts emerging, you will be dissuaded and you will be discouraged because no one will get it because it doesn't exist. Right. And, you know, I was online, I was on Zoom teaching in 2017. In my field, I was sort of alone in the wilderness. Fast forward a few years, COVID, complete change of consciousness. Now, so many university profs are online teaching. Some of them even have podcasts, right? So I was sort of alone in the jungle with a machete for a while. And now there's a bit of a settlement there. Um, But that required me to really dig deep and ignore all of the, the voices of what a normal career, a normal path looks like. So that would be one major lesson that I learned, which is, you know, finding why you're here and what you want to do 
and 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 you're not going to find a model for it necessarily in the world already if you're carving your own path. So that's one thing that comes to mind. That's great. Tell me, I, I know that we we discussed this in a matter of a few minutes, but the reality of this was is this was probably a a, a lengthened journey. What did that What did that timeline look like for you? Yeah. So another really important life lesson with anything consequential or significant is patience and perseverance. And there, what it is, it's bringing together two very opposite skills. So some people are very patient and they're happy to wait for things to happen. And some people are go-getters and they want to get bleep done and they're not particularly patient. And the sweet spot for anything major, uh, a degree, building a business, building a body you want, whatever it is, right, is you got to, it's not pitching a tent, it's a pyramid. You got to, you know, put some bricks up and then go do something else and put some more bricks up and go do something else. It's the long game. It's the long haul. It's not for the instant gratification crowd. And it's not for the people who stay down when they're knocked down. You get knocked down seven times, you get up eight times, you keep going, right? Failure is just a plot twist. Failure doesn't have to be the end of the story. It just depends on how you respond to it. So course is offered. It goes well. People are happy to pay for it. Great. Next month, it goes well. Third month, crickets. Okay. Nobody wants this course. Is it the content? Is it the people? Is it the timing? Right. So you you kind of have to be a scientist, right? And be like, what is it that's not working? What can I change? How do I reach the people that I want to reach? How do I get more people into my field? Is there is there a fit between what I'm marketing, who I'm marketing to, how I'm positioning it? Do they understand? Are they okay? Are they naturally passionate about the Hindu goddess? Okay, yes, I'd love that. Or do they have no idea? Uh, do, do do they want to know that this may help with women's empowerment? This may help with balancing out a more artistic consciousness. You know, am I communicating? the real value of these courses to the right people. And this is like, this isn't fast food, it's gourmet, right? This takes time and pivoting and reiterating. So it's it's taken altogether six years before entrepreneuring and actually founding this online school formally. Mind you, I did a whole bunch of other things, you know, but it's it's not something that happens overnight. Sure. Well, let's talk about a little bit more about that audience uh, in, in your space. Like, how do you go about, like, you have all of the knowledge, you have the wisdom, you have all of the people pieces of the puzzle. How do you go about identifying and finding your audience? Yeah, you know, an audience is it's something that when you're ready to market something, you need an audience. And yet to have an audience, you need to have built one for much longer than, you know, previously, right? You're ready for that apple, but you haven't planted the tree yet, you know? Um, so it, it'll vary from person to person. But having a clear sense of who your stuff's for and who's interested in your stuff, that's key. Because when you when you try to be for everybody, really you end up being for nobody because no one really knows you're for them, right? So, you know, if I have a school of Indian wisdom, if someone's not interested in Indian wisdom, clearly they're not interested in the school. It's not a school of comparative religion. It's not a school of Indian religion. It's not a school of whatever it is. It, it's it's fairly niche. So you have to have a sense of what people in your circle want from you because they do want something from you and you do have something to offer. And if you already are a content creator or an expert in your field, you will be known for something and valued for something. You're intrinsically valuable, but that content's going to be valuable to people. And if you pay attention, you'll be able to discern who that avatar is, who that archetype is, who's that person who just loves taking your stuff. Focus on that person because that's who you're here to serve. Where do they hang out? What does it for them? What do they want from you? And ask them so it's clear. 
Yeah. Does your content define the audience or does the audience define your content? It has to be, uh, it has to be a synergy. The, the, the key is the right offer for the right audience. The offer might be great, but not resonating with that audience. So the offer, the, the content has to resonate with the audience that you're trying to serve. But it'll depend. It'll depend on the person's specific journey. Some people may have blogs. You have an audience. You, some people may have YouTube channels. You have an audience. Some people may, may have hobbies. You have networks. You have interests, right? So at the end of the day, in my view, a business all a business is, is a sustained way of serving people. It's how, how can I best serve people? And then let me work out the nuts and bolts to monetize that so I can continue to do that and serve more people on a greater scale. But the end of the day, core of a business, especially when related to online education or a platform like Kajabi, the core of your business is service. Like, what am I here to teach, share? Who needs me? Who needs what from me? Then you have to tweak, okay, well, how am I communicating? How are they registering the thing they want to know? Are we speaking the same language? Are they calling it something different, right? Then it's a question of, of communication. Now, you could be with the love of your life or a parent and you may have trouble communicating, much less someone you barely know online. So then it's a question of, well, how do I reach that person? Are we speaking the same language? But I would say it is a little bit of cart and horse, but I'd say the, the draft driving factor is not the offer it's the audience i guess how did that how did that materialize in your journey of of creating this content it sounds like going back you talked about how you know you were you created more content than uh, you published more content than any other academic in the space uh was that also a kind of a, a materialization of you by you knowing who the audience was or how did you kind of make it from i'm producing content to i'm producing content for my audience well so my path has different, uh, there are different moving parts to my career, but two huge buckets are scholarship, producing scholarship, books, articles, book chapters, functioning as an academic. And that's a certain kind of content. And then there is online teaching, right? That's now congealed into the school. I also teach online at a place called the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies, where I get to teach people, you know, based out of Oxford University. Um, but much like the OCHS, the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies, the School of Indian Wisdom is, is geared towards online teaching and content that people want, not necessarily researchers or scholars. There is an overlap in that many of my students want academic articles. And some of the academics, you know, might be kind of intrigued about this online school thing that's, that I'm doing, but they're kind of two parallel um, 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 content um, um, campaigns, right? And each of them require you to know your audience and know what they're interested in. Yeah. So tell me, like, I guess just like thinking about like the mindset, if I'm a listener and I am, I'm a college educator and I'm thinking about, you know, uh, I'm producing a lot of scholastic focused things. What, what for you was the kind of the driver to say, like, uh, I want to move outside of just the scholastic focus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so some of the seminars and talks I've given, um, are actually to people in humanities degrees and encouraging them to, to pursue their dream of producing scholarship, irrespective of the state of the job market, irrespective of professorships. Think of yourself as a self-employed scholar. Think of yourself as someone who's going to produce scholarship and find a way to, to fund 
your production of scholarship, whether or not you have a university job. And the natural fit for most educators is teaching because they have much to share. And also gone are the days when a great prof is someone who can't teach because teaching is an occupational hazard. Gone, gone are the days when, you know, someone's brilliant because they can barely communicate an idea and can't be bothered to communicate it to an undergrad class. And now it's such that scholars of the humanities have great research portfolios, great teaching portfolios, lots of experience. So teaching is very important. So what I would say to the typical humanities scholar who obviously is interested in passionate about a field of study, I'd say pan out a little bit and understand understand why this is so important to you. And most scholars don't realize that, believe it or not. They'll do a book on a topic and they don't really grok why this is important to them and people on the planet outside of like, you know, the five people who are going to read this expert's book, you know, on the great goddess of or whatever, you know. Um, why is this so important to you? Like, what is it related to? You know, when you find that relevance, then it becomes quite easy. When you find that, that, that why I care about this as a person, why this matters to me as a person, you find other people that it matters to. And they're, they're, they're excited to learn from you. Because look, um, there's so much online content as it is. This is some academics really feel it's beneath them or like to, to mess around with this online world. And one of the things I say is, look, um, like people are, f there's so much fast food on the market. Should the gourmet chefs just cook, you know, for the private clubs? Like, why, why are the gourmet chefs not opening up restaurants? You know, who should be creating uh, podcasts in the field and courses in the field, if not the world's experts, right? And so there's a bit of a paradigm shift. And there's also a bit of a really honing in on why you care about this stuff so much. And I think that's a great way to, to think about how to package or how to, to market courses. Can you talk a little bit more about like how that happened for you? Like what, what was your journey in that? I just want to understand, like, you, you probably could have persisted down the academic path. So you probably could have just stayed with what you were doing and focused on. And I wonder what, like, what was the light that turned on, the light bulb that turned on for you that said, this is where I'm going? So part of my experiences when I was, a, uh, um, uh, I finished my master's. So before and during and after the PhD, I taught continuing studies at the University of Toronto. You know, these aren't sort of full-time salary jobs. You, you know, you get whatever, a few hundred bucks for a course here or there. But the courses are geared towards adults who want to learn out of interest. And that was sort of, you know, just part of my path, teaching the public, uh, translating complex ideas in ways people can understand. You know, and that was formative. Uh, currently at the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies, it's also their continuing studies program that I, I teach it online. So this idea of bridging expertise with um, public interest, like, this is where I live. Um, I try to make my scholarship as accessible as possible, uh, but I certainly try to make scholarly findings available to the public uh, in a number of ways. So I, I host these events at the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies where I'll find 10 seasoned scholars in a field and create this online weekend school and people can, you know, uh, you know, pay the fee for or what have you and attend it and learn a bunch of stuff. Or I have a podcast called New Books in Indian Religions where I'll interview somebody who's just come out with a book once a week and we'll talk about it in a way that makes sense to everyday people. Uh, you know, so that, that bridging has always been sort of very important to me. Um, the, the real light went off when I understood that many learners, many continuing studies learners, um, they want the spiritual content. They want it in a responsible way. And it's something that because of my academic training, I was very sheepish about, even embarrassed about in certain settings. 
right? Because the perception is, okay, well, now this guy's not a proper scholar because he's doing this woo-woo stuff or he's got these, um, uh, this, these cultural investments or, you know, whatever. People have stuff, right? But I, I understand more than ever before that the sweet spot is sharing the scholarship and then sharing the... The, the spiritual interpretation, sharing the, the lived life wisdom. Like, why is this text so important? What are these teachings all about? How does it help me? You know, what does it have to do with my life or life in general? And so it took me a while to figure that out. But there is a sweet spot of drawing from the scholarship and drawing from the spiritual training and then making it applicable to somebody right now in a modern Western life. And for me, that's like, you know, it, for me personally, that's the highest expression of of, of this knowledge and, and, and these teachings that I've been given, right? Sharing them in a relevant way. So it sounds like the root of this was you had content that you felt was applicable to, to anyone and you wanted to ensure that that was shared with the broadest possible audience. Yeah. At the, the, at the end of the day, you know, probably congenitally and also by training, you know, I'm a teacher, right? I enjoy teaching. Um, and part of also demoralizing about finishing my PhD and being kind of like, okay, I'm broke and what's going on is because for me, the PhD and all that work and training was a ticket to teach undergrads. That's what I wanted to do. I mean, I'm obviously interested in these ideas. I'm obviously like to write and speak and publish, but it was a ticket to teach and it didn't ripen. And I was like, you know, why has that forsaken me? And now I'm like, no, biggest blessing in disguise ever. If a professorship ripens, fantastic. I have the opportunity of teaching undergrads with sessional contracts here and there. It's something I'd like to do more of. But because that outlet wasn't available, I had to find someone else to teach. And then all of this continuing studies training came top of mind. I'm like, hey, why don't I just randomly email people and ask them if they want to buy a course? Like ridiculous, right? Like the thought was like, and I was shocked. I was shocked at how easy it was to support myself that month. As I say, it'll ebb and flow. But for anybody out there who has something that they're passionate about and want to share, right? Like what's what's the best path forward? Finding a setup where you can work for yourself, teach on your own terms, teach what you want, when you want, who you want for the most part, you know? What is isn't that isn't that the highest expression of uh, of teaching freely, right? Sounds like it was a, the the first step was really just putting yourself out there. Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. I'd say there's that well, there's resistance cuz of your comfort zone, there's, you know, um fear obviously. What will people think, right? These, these these, these, these random, you know, uh, these voices in our heads, right? What will people think? Uh, what if they say no? You, you have to get over the fear of rejection. You have to get over these, the, the value system of, well, certain people will think this or this or this. You, you really have to tune that out and have the courage to move forward. And if you're lucky, um, find a community. Whether it's Kajabi, um, for a while I had, uh, I was um, connected with and working for a company called Miracy, right? Find a a, a tribe of people who who have similar values, similar aims, similar uh, similar vision, because then that'll really help you to <laughs> tune out uh, folks who just only understand the nine to five grind. That's all they understand. That's all they value. Really, that they they, don't, they 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 can't think beyond that, right? So yeah, getting the, the first step is really just putting yourself out there. What would you say is, I mean, throughout that journey of, and it's very common, I think, for all entrepreneurs 
or all prospective entrepreneurs, you struggle with this, uh, you know, the building that confidence, like what, what for you, I guess, once again, kind of going back to that light bulb moment, was that, what was that for you to where you finally found that, that sense to move forward? Yeah. Understand that you're a messenger and don't take personally the people who want to shoot the messenger. Understand that it's about a mission and a message. It's not about your ego. When you understand that, then you don't care how much your ego might hurt because someone rejected you or you're broke or this didn't work or that didn't work. I'm walking worm food. Great. But I have a message in me. I have training in me. I have passion in me. I have something to offer people in me. And I'm not going to let their egos or my ego block that. Well, tell me a little bit about like, when did uh, we kind of covered this a little bit already, but like, where, where did Kajabi really fit into this? Like at what stage of the game? Yeah. Um, so, so uh, I started formally teaching online 2016, uh, 2017. I had this platform called Power of Myth. I had this, this Squarespace website. Courses were on Zoom, all that. 2018, something shifted. People just really wanted coaching. So the vast majority of my my sustenance, my income in 2018 was focusing on the coaching to the point where I dissolved the online platform. I thought, okay, well, maybe I have to rethink this, you know, similar with 2019. And then 2020, everything changed. Uh, not just, I mean, everything changed for me and obviously COVID, but 2020, I got a job out of the blue. I, I, <laughs> it's so silly. I make all this online content, but I don't consume any. So I discovered that, <laughs> I discovered that the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies had these online courses. And I thought, wow, these are fantastic. I wish I knew about these. So I email them and I'm like, look, why, do, why don't one of you come on my podcast? Because I'm sure there's tons of people who would love to know about these courses. And so Nick Sutton, the director of continuing studies, ends up coming to my podcast. We chat about learning, about the pitfalls of stringent academic learning, about the, 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 you know, the power of continuing studies education. And when we finish the podcast, he's like, why don't you come tutor for us? I think you could. I'm like, okay, sure, why not? So here I am. I'm like, I've done a bunch of online teaching. Sure, why not? So I take this course with, uh, take this, this, this post tutoring for the OCHS. And I was also, um, really intrigued by another platform called yogic studies. And <laughs> I reach out to the, to the, 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 the founder of yogic studies, um, um, Seth Powell. He's a, he's a, he's finishing his PhD at Harvard currently. And it was clear to me that he's just way ahead of this curve. Like I'm not the only one with a machete. He's got his machete doing his thing. And we're, this is, this is, there's, we're all going to be a settlement of some kind. Um, and I, I had him on my podcast <laughs> after that. He's like, why don't you teach a course for us at Yogic Studies? And I'm like, sure. Um, at the same time, I was starting to teach online again more privately in 2020 because people were showing up and they wanted courses on Hindu goddess. They wanted courses on all kinds of things. So I was doing some courses informally, but really it was, um, what was it? Uh, a, a game changer for me was teaching as a guest instructor at Yogic Studies. Who uses, guess what? Kajabi. And I, I was like, wow, this is a really cool platform. And I kind of filed that away. I just filed that away as a really positive experience. Um, and then I continued teaching. People were asking for more courses. I'm using Google Drive. I'm like, you know what? Why don't I just check out this Kajabi platform? Why don't I just check it out? So I signed up for the trial and I'm like, OMG, where have you been all my life? Like, <laughs> like I'm serious. I'm like, okay, I was looking for a customer sort of support solution. I was looking for, I'm really good with correspondence and I'm super organized. So I can do tons just with the Google Calendar and contacts, I keep notes on people, like follow up, like, but I was looking for a, um, sort of a, 
a customer management program for years and nothing really felt right or worked for me. Um, I used MailChimp for a while in, in, in the years where I was sending mailings out, especially the power of myth time. Um, there were all these disparate pieces. But to have it sort of all there, I'm like, yep, I'm going to use this platform. And I'm not just going to use this platform. It's time to stop kind of like, you know, a course here, a course here, a course there. People can't find you. Look, you're a good cook. That's great. You need to put a sign up outside on the street so people can find you. And then there's this, there's this journey of, well, what do I call it? Is it some kind of institution? Like, what what do I call it? Like, there was this whole journey in the, that included a number of students. Um, and I like the idea of school and I wasn't sure if it was school of Indian religion, school of who knows what, whatever. And then I hired someone for a logo, did some work on the Kajabi platform to create the website, some landing pages. And, you know, it's, it's an evolution, you know, every, every month I learn something new. You know, but right now it, it literally feels like I've been using this platform and the school like forever because it's, it's everything's there, you know, and, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's probably the main pitch for Kajabi. Like it's all in one platform. You don't sure. need all these other solutions, but I'm like, Hey, I was like, why didn't I know about this before, uh, doing this yogic studies course, uh, at Seth's platform. And then I was like, ha, ah, imagine all the people who don't know what I do, don't know that I exist, don't know you know, what I can help them with. And so it kind of was this experience of like, yeah, nope, I need to get out there. That, that's great. Well, I think that that leads in perfectly. Like where, where are you at today? And with the online school, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's changed or, for you as a result of this kind of this journey uh, for you? Yeah. Well, currently, um, you know, I have an online school that's visible to people that people know about that I'm becoming known for students can find me and study with me. Um, there's no, what's really changed is people can now find me and I can easily set up courses and run them, right? The tools are there. So I can just, whatever, I literally will send an email and say, Hey, do you guys want to, what do you guys want to look at uh, next month? Or well, here are some options. And then, okay, then I'll come up with a title, find some images, create a landing page and boom. Send an email out and okay, here's the course for next month. You know, and so that the 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 ease with which, not to say there aren't trials trials and tribulations like with with anything, but the ease with which I now have sort of this this apparatus whereby I can teach and monetize that. The school is now literally my paycheck. It's my professorial paycheck, quote unquote. It's it's my means of sustenance, so that I don't have to worry about whether I have how many clients I have this month. The people want to work with me, great. If not, great. Um, when they have a bunch of things that I. I I write, uh, I publish, and all of the academic articles are pro bono. I don't get paid for any of that stuff. So the school's really empowered me to really do everything that I want, whether I'm paid for it or not. Well, I guess tell me a little bit more about like what's what's next for you. What's what's next on the horizon? Yeah, so school's two or three months old. Uh, I think there are four courses fleshed out there. You know, in an alternate universe, I wouldn't have any of the academic stuff. I can really just gun it with the school and focus on that, or or vice versa, or just focus on the scholarship. But I think it's something where I feel called to to nurture both children, right? <laughs> sure. And so um, with the school, what's next is there's an upcoming course uh, called Sacred Body, looking at ancient Indian kind of models of subtle bodies and channels and, and all that stuff. Um, there's going to be two or three more courses for this year that people are interested in learning about. Um, and really, I feel that once I finish a stint of academic writing and get that off my desk, I want to grow the school. I want to reach people. I want to find 
it's it's working relatively well right now, even with just word of mouth or, or whatever. I do talks or I do courses elsewhere, but I want to find a way to grow it so that it can be more impactful. So that's sort of what's on the horizon for me. And also um, certificate programs, like, like developing it into a, well, okay, there's an Indian mythology stream. Okay, well, there's this goddess stream for people interested in that stuff. Oh, well, there's this kind of yogic esoteric stream or whatever, like just developing the curriculum based on what students want. Um, and I really suspect I'll be networking with other platforms and institutions before too long. Well, for any uh, listeners who are interested in uh, kind of getting to know you a little bit more, how should they how should they find you? Yeah, so my personal CV site is just rajbalkaran.com. And there's a link there to the school, but that site will give you sort of the, the overview of the scholarship piece, the coaching piece, uh, the school piece. But the the, the, the the school is actually at courses.rajbalkaran.com. Um, you can feel free to check out courses. Um, I'll create uh, a, a code, a coupon code for for this audience. Just use um, 50 off. You could have any of the courses you wish, half price. Um, beyond that, you know, feel very free to to send me a message through any of the contact pages if you're interested in content or you're, you're maybe you're engaged in research. You know, if you have questions, by all means, if I can be of service to your educational or spiritual journey, you know, feel free to reach out. Well, Raj, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate having you on. It was fun. My pleasure, actually. Well, for any listeners, really appreciate your time today. We want to expose this content to entrepreneurs all over. So please feel free to share this with your friends, subscribe. But that is all for today. We look forward to seeing you all next week on the next episode of our Kajabi Edge podcast. This episode helped inspire you to start your own online business with Kajabi? If so, head on over to kajabi.com slash edge or mention the Kajabi Edge podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us field when signing up on our homepage. Listeners who sign up from our show will receive an additional success call with one of our customer success managers on top of the call all new customers receive. That's two calls to help guide you along the way to success. So head on over to kajabi.com slash edge. That's K-A j-a-b-i dot com slash e-d-g-e and start writing your story.